0: A reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as we gather here and as we regather beginning our church program year, we ask that you will be with us in all that we do and say in every aspect of our life together. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable as we hear this sermon and experience this worship service. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. While I am no Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, I grew up in Memphis, a city on the Mississippi River, and being near and often crossing this mighty river Marked significant passages in my life. As a child seated in the back seat of a station wagon, we would cross the Mississippi about one weekend a month to visit grandparents who lived on the other side in Arkansas, knowing that when we awoke from this trip, candy and kisses would await. Once a year, for several summers, we would cross the Mississippi and travel north to Belleville, Illinois, where we would stay with relatives and then cross it again into St. Louis to watch the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball.
1: When I was in high
0: school, a new bridge was being built across the river. The father of one of my classmates was the project developer for this bridge. He arranged for our class picture to be taken with us standing on the not-completed edge of the new bridge with the city skyline in the background. That would never happen today. (laughs) I crossed the river every semester headed to the freedom of college life and crossed it coming home every holiday for familiarity and family. I crossed it on an early morning bus ride to sit with my father at Methodist Hospital in Memphis for what turned out to be his last home, his last week of life. And I crossed the Mississippi in a rider truck three days after I had graduated from seminary in New York, headed for ordination in Texas, and everything that I had prepared for up to that point in my life. Lionel Trilling, a literary critic who is a reader of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, much more astute than my high school reading of that classic, sees the river as the source of Huck's moral passion. Trilling writes, Huck is at odds with the only form of established religion he knows. And his very intense moral life may be said to derive almost wholly from his love of the river. He lives in perpetual adoration of the Mississippi's power and charm. Nothing draws forth his gift of speech but the response to his deity, the river. After every sally into the social life onto the shore, Huck returns to the river with relief and thanksgiving, and at each return there is a hymn of praise to the God's beauty, mystery, and strength in contrast to the pettiness of people he experiences on the shore. T.S. Eliot, who also grew up near the Mississippi, once wrote of the river, I do not know much about gods, but I think that the river is a strong brown god, almost forgotten by dwellers in the cities, but waiting, watching, and waiting. It is this strong brown god that made Huck Finn one of the most moral characters in all of American literature. Now, if you have ever been in a church before today, you've doubtless heard that the central teaching of the Christian faith, regardless of denomination, it races across our briefest of biblical texts today, like a deer skipping across a wooded road. Love One another, our text says. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, the Ten Commandments, are summed up in this word, our text says. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I had originally entitled this sermon, quote, The Forbidden Word That Does Appear in the Text and Therefore I Will Preach on It. End quote. But that was too long a title. The recently discarded title refers to a basic rule in preaching. Do not preach on the word love unless it actually appears in the biblical text. That rule is rightly aimed at restraining ministers from always talking about love, no matter what the text says, leading every sermon to sound the same. But the word love does appear in this text. In fact, it appears five times in three verses, so I feel permitted to preach on it. But in all honesty, I feel equally compelled not to just repeat what you have heard over and over if you have attended church on a regular basis. Exhortations like God loves us, we should love God, we should love ourselves, we should love one another, we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We do not need the Beatles to tell us that all we need is love. And from Jackie to Shannon, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. But what is it about a strong, brown God? Or what is it about the God who made all rivers? The God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who is with us as Jesus Christ. The God who is spirit in whose presence we gather What is it about God that compels us to this one simple and positive four-letter word, love? I want to take a stab out of my own need to take us deeper than simply repeating what you've heard before. We must love one another. When I come across a text like this that, that can and often does just sound prosaic, sounds like we've heard before, the way that I deal with it is to sit with it a long time and try to think about it, but also to go to some writing or some theologian who has the ability to take my mind and heart in a different place. Part of that is going to literature, like Huck Finn or T.S. Eliot. The theologian to whom I went this time is Karl Barth in his commentary on the Romans that was written almost a 100 years ago. Now, I have got to tell you that Karl Barth's writing is very dense. One of the greatest theological minds in this church, Paul Van de Water, reminded me after the early service that he tried to read the commentary to the Romans. And he read the first chapter. And he read it. And he read it. And he gave up. I didn't know Paul Vanderwater gave up on reading anything. But that is how dense this is. And I want to give you just a snippet of it, and I hope you can follow. But my desire is to get at how we know God through love and how love leads us to God in just a way that's deeper than you normally hear. It is like the strong, brown God of the river that's always there and can draw us to it. Now, a first set of sayings that Bart provides classifies love as revolutionary. Love one another, he says, Love of one another, he says, ought to be undertaken as the protest against the course of this world. As the protest against the way things normally are. Barth thus calls love a great positive possibility. It is a possibility that leads us not to be conformed to this world. It is a possibility that bears witness from within this world to the strangeness of God. And it is a possibility that is revolutionary in the sense that it leads us to do the new by which the old is overturned. One of the earliest memories I have of being a young person, probably middle school, uh, in the church was going with another church's youth group on Christmas Eve to deliver Christmas gifts at an inner city hospital in Memphis. Now, not just gifts to a local hospital. Not just gifts delivered a day or two before Christmas when no well-choreographed family activities had already been planned, but a bunch of suburban kids delivering gifts to an inner-city hospital where the kids didn't look like them or go to school with them or have a future like theirs. You can imagine how the parents... The choreographers of Christmas reacted. Do you have to do this on Christmas Eve? You mean you're not going to be with us at Christmas dinner? Your cousins are coming. What was that youth leader thinking? Have you never heard that charity begins at home? It's just an example. It's just a parable. But it maybe teaches that when we come across the word love in the Bible in a way that connects us to God and leads to God, that love is revolutionary. That it is not being conformed to this world. That it is the new by which the old is overturned. That's one of the reasons that always in church, always in almost any church, no matter what people think or say, they want to reach out To the stranger. They want to care. For the person that's wounded. They want to welcome. The foreigner. They want to welcome. Those whom everybody else. Is shutting out. There is something about. That depth of love. That we think. Connects us with God. And that we think comes from God, like Huck's big brown river. Love doesn't conform to the world, and it doesn't lead us to conform to the world. Now, a second set of phrases that Bart uses to describe love points to our religious faith, our connection of love with faith in a strong brown God. Or for us, a God who is maybe even a little more personal and a little more Trinitarian than Hux. Bart says that love is beyond, this is where it gets tough, <laughs> beyond even the conceivable possibility of any concrete or an analyzable experience of the relationship between God and humanity. That means that any way you can conceive of or describe the relationship between you and God or humanity and God, love is even deeper and beyond that. Thus for Bart, love lies beyond the religious laws that we seek to follow and the religious practices in which we engage. It means love lies beyond our prayers. It lies beyond our attending worship. It lies beyond our presenting our tithes and offerings. Love is beyond all these. So in our terminology, love is religious to be sure, but it is also greater than even the religious experiences we have, or even the practices that grow out of those experiences which are so near and dear to us. Bart says that love is the presupposition, that which comes before all that we can observe and analyze and label and describe about our relationship with God. It is, therefore an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is therefore a way that we know and experience God. It is therefore a way that we lay hold and cling to God and a way that God lays hold and clings to us. This way of love lies beyond even our highest experiences of beauty. That is why Huckleberry Finn always returns to the river. It was his God. It was his religion. It was what lay behind all of his capacity to love. It was the presupposition behind all of his moral passion. Even while love is beyond religion, It is religious in the best sense of the word. What I want to say to people, especially if you're new in faith or reaching or struggling in faith, is that if you can conceive or think about the time in which you most realized or felt you were loved, or the time you most felt, called out, and experienced love of any kind for any object, then that is the starting point or the presupposition of a relationship with God. With all that we do in church and all that we do seeking to serve the community and all that we do seeking to be responsible in the world, it is that core experience of being loved and of loving that lies at the heart of our faith, at the heart of our big, brown, strong river. As we begin this church year, we gather today at the table of the Lord. It's an experience that many of us have had before. If we were raised or are Catholic, we know it as the Mass. If we've been in other Protestant churches, it may go by the name of communion or Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. Like love, like God, the gathering around this table goes by many names. And like the river, It is a gathering in which love is central. God's love for us through the gift of His Son Jesus Christ. And our love for God through our commitment to go forth from this table and to serve Christ in the church, in the world, in both. It is also a symbol of our love for one another as we gather together and stand as equals before God, young and old, rich and poor, born in this land, born in other lands. We all are receiving the same blessing. We are all partaking of the same wine. We are all breaking the same bread. One of the most important theological books I've ever read ends with lines from a George Herbert poem that bears witness to the incomprehensible love of God that drapes this table like a white tablecloth. Herbert writes, Love is that liqueur sweet and most divine which my God Feels as blood and I as wine. In the mystery of who God is, drink this wine, break this bread, receive and share this love. Amen.